Chapter Nine of Doomsday Eve by Robert Moore Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Doomsday Eve, Chapter Nine. Coming back to conscious awareness, Kurt Zen simultaneously realized that something which he had been experiencing and which had been very important faded out of his memory like a gray ghost sliding silently away into a pearl-colored mist. Nedra was shaking him by the shoulder and was smiling down at him. "'Wake up, sleepyhead. You've been snoozing for eighteen hours. That ought to be enough even for a growing boy like you.' Her face was radiant and alive. She looked as if she had just stepped out of a cold shower and had rubbed her beautiful body with a rough towel to bring the blood close to the surface of the skin. You look wonderful," Zen muttered, remembering what John had hinted. Did you have a good night's sleep? A couple of hours. No more than that? I needed no more. Hmm," Zen said. He started to add another word, alone, but managed to catch the question before it was out of his mouth. He examined her thoughtfully. You look very contented, he said without adding that in his experience women who looked so contented had only one reason for it. Why shouldn't I look contented? After spending so much time in the wilderness I'm back on the stairway to heaven. What's the wilderness? The world down below. She swept her hand in a gesture that included the unseen ranges and the plains below. Ah, yes, he yawned himself to wakefulness. I was reading the most fascinating book before I dropped off to sleep. Here, I'll show you." The book was not on his blanket. It was not in the wall niche. Nor was it behind the bed. "'Hey, it's gone,' he said. His eyes went around the room. He discovered other things that were missing. "'The lieutenant's gun! And my pack!' "'Perhaps you just dreamed you had been reading a book.' "'I didn't dream the gun and the pack. I carry both of them in here. I can explain about them. They were taken. Huh? Why? Weapons are not permitted here. Your gun and your pack were both taken for this reason. Huh? A growl came unbidden into his voice. He put these items out of his mind with the resolve to speak to someone about them at a later time. Something more important had happened. What was it? A memory of his dream flicked through his mind but was gone before he could grasp it. A frown on his face, he said, I know. As he tried to speak, what he had intended to say slid out of his mind. You know what? Nedra asked. Everything. Her face showed surprise. This is a great deal for one man to know. Are you sure? Yes. Positive? Hell yes!" An emotion that was like a curtain opening and closing slipped across her face. Well, in that case, tell me things. I would, except I can't remember them. Doubt came into the violet eyes. What you need is some breakfast. Your blood sugar levels are too low. Breakfast will take care of that. Her voice was firm and sure. That's one thing I need. Zen said, his voice equally firm. But there is one thing I don't need. An examination by a head-shrinker. A what? A psycho, he explained. I call them head-shrinkers because that is what they do. 
Oh, maybe I need such an examination, but I have no intention of submitting to it." Breakfast consisted of cornmeal mush, fried to a golden brown, and served with butter and honey. There was no coffee, but he had long since learned to do without it. He ate ravenously. "'I'm hungry right down to the marrow of my bones,' he said. "'Where does all this grub come from?' "'We get it,' Nedra answered evasively. What do you do? Raid the Low Country for supplies, like Cuso's men? No, Colonel, hardly that. We are not thieves. Her face showed displeasure. Well, where do you get it? I don't know how many of you are here, but if you have as many as a hundred, keeping this place supplied calls for some doing. He was fishing for information on the number of people hidden in this old mine. Actually, very little food is needed. How come? Don't they eat?" "'Are you reading my mind?' the girl demanded. "'If so, you might as well learn right now that this is not considered good manners here.' Momentarily she was angry. "'And besides, if you do it again, I'll close off my thoughts to you.' Zen, with a forkful of mush halfway to his mouth, was so surprised that he tried to speak and to swallow the mush at the same time, with the result that he choked. The inference back of her words opened up wide horizons of speculative thought. Was mind-reading actually commonplace here? "'I'm sorry you choked,' Nedra said. She pounded him on the back. "'Why don't you put me over your shoulder and burp me?' Zen complained. "'Lay off with that pounding.' "'Do you feel you really need burping?' "Ah, shut up,' Zen answered. If she thought he had read her mind, did this mean that she was actually capable of reading his thoughts? Could all of these people read his mind? Had the nude bronze girl going through the rhythmic exercises known what he was thinking about her? Zen felt himself coloring. It was one thing to have the normal libidinous impulses of the male, but it was quite another thing to have every woman know what he was thinking about her. Colonel. I do believe you are blushing," Nedra said, a twinkle in her eyes. I am not, Zen said. Actually, I was wondering. Whether or not I could read your mind? I told you it was not good manners here. Good manners or not, you seem to know what I was thinking. It isn't necessary to read your mind to know what you are thinking if a pretty woman is concerned, Nedra said primly. Your thoughts are written on your face. Ah. For a moment his confusion grew. Her understanding was much too acute. Was she playing games, making fun? If so, this was a game that two could play. In that case, since you already know about me, how about it? he said, looking boldly at her. She understood his meaning. For a moment the violet eyes showed sadness. They seemed to indicate that she was disappointed in him that she had hoped for much better from him. Then a sparkle came into them. I told you once before. Yeah, I know. You are going to wash out my mind with soap. But let's not do it right now. I'm still hungry." "'You are one of the most perplexing men I have ever met,' Nedra said as she rose to fill his plate again. Also one of the fastest. "'I thought you were going to stay away from that subject,' he protested. I intended to say fastest on his mental feet," she answered. 
and if you don't stop interrupting me to make a play on words, I'm going to give you a hit on the head. After that, Sam wants to see you." "'Sam, huh?' he said, with no real enthusiasm in his voice. Somehow, this morning, he did not relish seeing the craggy man. But there was the matter of the missing pack and gun to be taken up with someone in authority. He suspected that West was that person. The craggy man was alone in the room to which Nedra took him when he had finished breakfast. West was standing with his back to them as they entered, staring out of a picture window that was set flush with the wall of the building. Turning, he nodded to them, then motioned to them to come and stand beside him. Kurt Zen looked out on one of the most breathtakingly beautiful scenes he had ever seen. Directly below them the cliff dropped away for hundreds of feet, a blank wall of sheer rock. To the left, climbing up into the sky, was the peak of the mountain, solid granite. They were just at the edge of timberline here. Lower the trees began, spruce, fir, and aspen, marching downward tier on tier over a series of rolling hills that concealed more than they revealed. In the distance was the front range, a towering sweep of mountains that looked small but which Zen knew to be rugged country. He had climbed them too recently to have any doubts as to how high they were, and how rugged. In the far distance cumulus clouds were visible, thunderstorms beyond the mountains. Thy purple mountain's majesty above the fruited plain. The words of the song came unbidden into Kurt's mind. Down below him was America, or what was left of it. A pain came up in his throat at the thought and he felt muscles pull and knot in his stomach. He had loved this land. America had stood for freedom. Her sons had fought for it, on battlefields in every corner of the earth, from sun-baked equatorial Africa to the freezing bitter steppes of Central Asia. While her sons had found graves fighting for freedom, something had happened to the freedom for which they fought. Nobody knew quite what had happened, but it had gone away. Possibly it had been lost as emergency followed emergency on the international scene, possibly it had been strangled in red tape as regulation followed regulation on the national scene. The time had come in America, too, as it had come to foreign lands when all actions that were not compulsory were forbidden. Thus freedom had died. Do you feel as bad as all that, Colonel?" West said softly. The man's face was grave, and each ridge on it seemed carved out of another and harder kind of granite. It seems such a shame, Zen said. I loved this land. It was my country. And I don't feel that I have to apologize for a gulp in my tongue as I talk about it. It is not necessary to apologize for loving one's own land, Colonel. West said, his voice softer still. You are not alone. Not alone? Zen said. From you this talk sounds strange. We have all loved this land too, Colonel, and the principles for which it stood. That is why we are here. West's voice became softer still, but the gravity in his face seemed to increase. That is good talk, Zen said. However, if I have learned one thing, it is that talk is cheap. You are outlaws hiding here, yet you talk of loving the land that you have failed to serve." He felt his voice great as he spoke. "'Bravely spoken, Colonel,' 
West applauded. A glint that might have been appreciation and might have been the edge of hidden anger showed in his eyes. Particularly so, since you are in the power of these, ah, uh, outlaws. Very brave, Nedra agreed, and very foolish. You did not bring me here to tell me that I am in your power, Bazan answered, nor to comment on my bravery, nor my foolishness. I think he can read minds, Nedra said. I do not in the least doubt it, West answered. If he did not possess this ability, or almost possess it, he would not be here. I, in my turn, think both of you are nuts, Zen answered. I'm not putting on a mind-reading act. Not consciously, Colonel, of course, West agreed. You think your thoughts are your own. Often they are. But there are also times when they have originated with somebody else. However, before you tell me that I did not call you up here to discuss your mind-reading ability, or lack of it, I will show you one reason why I wanted you. Take the glasses, observe the ridge in the far distance, just under the pines. Tell me what you see there." Horses, Zen said. No, mules, with riders. Cuso's men are going out on a raiding party looking for food, ammo, and women, if they can catch them. Right, Colonel. Except that they probably have the additional duty of inspecting the damage their blooper did when it exploded. I hope they inspect that damage from close range, Zen said fervently. That area is hot. If they will only spend an hour or so. He broke off as he remembered that both Nedra and West had spent too much time in the same hot zone. They will not be that foolish, West said. I know some people who were, Zen said. Perhaps the area, at least on the fringes, was not as hot as you had thought, West suggested. My counter said it was, Zen answered. Possibly your counter was an error. Now if you will come into this room, Colonel. West moved through an archway in the stone wall and into another room, holding the heavy draperies aside so Zen and Nedra could enter. An opaque screen was set into the wall. Several chairs, including one large seat with control buttons built into the arms, were in this room. West closed the curtain over the arch through which they had entered and motioned Zen to a chair. The craggy man slid into the chair with the buttons on the arms. Nedra sat beside Zen. Relaxed and at ease in the chair, she seemed to have forgotten that such creatures as kernels of intelligence existed. West pushed a button. Light flicked across the screen, danced an erratic pattern there, and vanished. An image began to form. Firming, it increased in detail and became a city. Or what had once been a city. The place was blackened now, the buildings lying in ruins. Towers had toppled, windows had broken, the ravages of fire were visible. Here and there tall buildings had crumbled into streets that crossed and crisscrossed each other at crazy angles. The rubble from the broken buildings still lay where it had fallen. "'Washington, by thunder!' Zen said. "'This was their prime target. We stopped their bombers cold, but they eventually got through with a guided missile. The city is still hot. You can see it right there on the screen. Not a sign of life.' He became excited as he relived those first mad moments when the Asian Federation had struck out of nowhere. 
In this moment what little freedom that had remained in America had been given up in the face of the seemingly more important necessity of remaining alive. Yes, West said. Now what do you see? The ruined Washington faded from the scene. As it faded, the broken dome of the Capitol building, its top had been blown off in the blast, was revealed looking like a mysterious crater on the moon open to the sea of space. Another city came on the screen, a mass of broken buildings where two rivers met. "'I think that's Pittsburgh,' Zen said. "'They were eager to hit us there, to cut down on our industrial production potential. They got Gary, Indiana, and South Chicago for the same reason. In spite of everything we could do to stop it, they eventually got through to our major production centers. If we hadn't foreseen the possibility of this happening, and had not spread our industry across the country, breaking it up into small parts, they would have crippled us so badly before the war even started that we would not have lasted long. However, even with our production spread, when they hit the sources of our raw materials, they hurt us, bad. Our stockpiles gave out after a couple of years. Since then, we've been scavenging for metal wherever we can find it." "'Yes, I know,' West said. Of course, while they were hurting us, we weren't exactly helping them," Zen said. We had a few guided missiles ready in their launching racks ourselves. We weren't exactly defenseless. Pride came into his voice as he spoke. I agree with you there, West said. Would you like to see some of our results? Hell, yes, Zen blurted out, surprised. Our photoships have never gotten really good pics have to fly too high for that. Oh, we have turned loose a flood of pics that purported to show how we had bombed hell out of the enemy, but these were all retouched, to boost public morale. But how does this radar work? Do you mean to tell me you can actually see what is going on inside the country of the enemy? Puzzled wonder crept into his voice. Behind the feeling was a keen interest. If he could use this radar to see into the country of the enemy, it was a very important invention. Though West did not seem to realize this. In war, information was always as important as weapons, and sometimes more so. Knowledge of the enemy's troop dispositions, of his strength and his weaknesses, was often more than half the battle. West did not answer. Another city swam into position on the screen. Zen caught a glimpse of a single minaret standing among the bare ruins and hazarded a guess as to the identity of the city. Moscow? Yes. Good. One of our fast planes sneaked over in full daylight, dumping his load. When the photo plane passed over hours later, the city was still burning. We really blasted the hell out of that dump. You sound pleased, Colonel. Do you know how many millions of people died directly or indirectly in that bomb explosion? How many millions died in Washington, Pittsburgh, and Chicago? Zen flared. Granted, West answered. But after the first man was killed, does it help the situation to kill a second? Or does killing the second one merely make it more likely that a third one will have to be destroyed? What the hell difference does it make? This is war. That is also granted. However, the rules of life do not change because men declare war. Don't be so damned academic that you forget to be realistic. They were striking at our heart. 
Zen said, bitterness deep in his voice. Look, we didn't seek this war. We did everything we could to prevent it. We tried compromise, arbitration, placation, and everything else we could think of. Nothing worked. They struck in the dark without warning. As he spoke, his bitterness turned into deep anger. That is also granted, West said, while the ruined city was displayed on the screen. But does it make a great deal of difference? Zen stared at the man, wondering what kind of a human he was. In the dim room, it was difficult to make out West's features. It makes all the difference in the world. We believe in fairness. They ignored it. We believed in a better world. They would plunge us back into the night of barbarism. We believed in freedom. They wanted slaves. They set up a slave state and threw armed slaves against free men. We had no choice except to fight back." "'I see nothing to argue in all you have said,' West answered. "'Nor is it to my purpose to attempt to justify the actions of the Western democracies. They need no justification. Nor do the actions of the Asian Federation need justification. In their eyes, they were right." His voice was a low monotone of sound without the trace of an emotion in it. "'Then what is your purpose?' Zen demanded. First, to point out that the human race is one organism. Viewed in its totality, it is just that, an organism. All the billions of individuals who compose it are cells in that organism." "'I am familiar with that theory,' Zen answered. A few crackpots have always insisted that we are a biological entity, but they have not succeeded in proving this." "'Haven't they?' West said. The slightest touch of irony appeared in his voice. "'Not as far as I know.' "'Is it possible, Colonel, that you do not know everything?' West asked. "'It is not only possible, it is obvious,' Zen answered, unruffled by the cutting question. If I knew everything, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. I would be out there winning a war." The point I want to make, Colonel, is that the human race is divided against itself. Historically, this has been going on since remote ages. War after war after war. I do not see how America is responsible for the errors of history, Zen said. We try to avoid them. God knows we tried. Emphasis crept into his voice. I did not say these were errors, Colonel, West replied. I merely said they were history. But what point are you making if not the one that wars are mistakes? Zen asked, surprised at the way the other's thinking had gone. I am making the point that war seems to be the way the entity, the human race as a whole, evolves. The method of evolution revealed by history is the pitting of one part of the entity against another part, then letting them fight it out to see which one is the more efficient." A touch of grimness sounded in the voice of the craggy man. In the dimly lighted room his face was as bleak and as lonely as the granite outcropping at the top of a mountain. "'This is a very savage philosophy,' Kurt Zen commented. "'If I may disagree with you again, Colonel, I do not think that this philosophy is necessarily savage. True, a great many men die in fiendishly ingenious ways. A great many women and children suffer. True, this system produces hunger in the world, 
and a fear so deep and so intense that the heart is hurt even to contemplate it. How can this be anything but savage? Zen protested. I don't care whether our side or the other side is doing it, it's still total savagery, utter barbarism. But that is a short-term view, and one which does not take into consideration all the factors in the equation. What is the purpose back of this savagery, if it is not to force men to learn and to grow? What of this so-called savagery is also the result of ignorance, of an entity trying desperately to learn how to solve a problem but never quite succeeding? But surely there must be some way which does not involve so much suffering," Zen protested. He was growing more and more uncomfortable. It was his impression that he was shifting sides in the argument without quite realizing he was doing it. Or perhaps West was the one who was shifting sides. This side-changing was producing confusion in his thinking. "'I have harbored the same hope,' West answered. However, I know of no way to accomplish this result. In a human being we have a growing, evolving organism that is possessed of a keen brain and a vast curiosity. Such an organism, by its very nature, will have to try every possible road." West pressed a button. Again the screen came to life. Dim and shadowy, human figures began to move there. Kurt Zen leaned forward to see them more clearly. End of chapter 9